All right, good evening. It is time to begin uh, our study for this evening. Uh, hope you brought your animal sacrifices. Yom Kippur kicked in right at sundown. So let's open with a word of prayer. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the blessings in life that we have. We thank you, Father, for the privilege that is ours to study together this evening again from your word. Father, we pray again that you would continue to open our understanding of the things that you speak to us through your word. Grant, Father, that these things might draw us closer to you, closer to one another, that they might better equip us to serve in your kingdom. Father, we are mindful of all of those all around this world that are suffering from uh, adversity and trial, whatever uh, type it may be. We ask, oh God, that you would bless them uh, according to their uh, individual need, but asking in all things that your will would be done. Father, above all, we thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we do pray. Amen. All right. Uh, Kind of appropriate brother Holt should be back tonight uh from south carolina because i have a leftover and i didn't actually put leftover up there but i, I know on last wednesday uh from first kings uh, 10 verse 10 which reads then she gave the king 100 talent 120 talents of gold you see i have that underlined and a very large amount of balsam oil and precious stones Never again did such a large quantity of balsam oil come in as that which the Queen of Sheba gave King Solomon. Uh, I, okay, I just need that moved out the way so I could read uh, what's next. This the conversation was concerning uh, what a, what a talent was. Now remember, one of the difficulties is that uh, the measurements back then were not as precise as we use them. Uh, today, I think we saw that when we were going through the construction of the temple and Solomon's palace with the cubit. So a talent, and a lot of this depends on which source you check. Uh, none of the sources were, or I should say, all of the sources were not in absolute agreement. You find some variation. So, but this should give us a ballpark figure. A talent was the largest weight among the Hebrews being used for metals whether gold, silver, et cetera, a talent of gold was worth about $30,000. Now that from Unger's Bible Dictionary, which as you can see was published in 1966. Well, 55 years ago, gold was probably not worth what it's worth today. So in 1966, when he said that, uh, that's what it was. So I kept looking, oh, I had to turn it on, right? That would help. Uh, 120 talents times $30,000 would be $3.6 million. Uh, that's if we use the figure from 1966. I don't trade in commodities. I didn't bother to look gold up and see what it's trading at uh, per ounce right now. Uh, I know that can vary by the day. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and you know what? And one of the things I have did an estimation at about $2,000 an ounce. Okay, so one talent, and they said a talent was about what a man could carry. Um, now, I can carry both of those, just not very far, and I don't know what the reason would be for trying to carry 75 pounds or something around. 
but a talent is about 57 to 75 pounds. It varied depending on which source you check. And she gave Solomon 120 talents, which means that was somewhere around three and a half to four and a half tons. Uh, that's a whole lot of gold. Uh, so, so, and we're gonna see a little bit further down that Solomon was getting uh, almost five times that uh, per year uh, coming in. Yep, wait a minute. Okay, yeah, so that was the extent of what I looked up a talent. You certainly welcome to uh, research it further, but to give you a ballpark idea, uh, that was a hefty gift. Uh, Sister Ladon? That, and the, the uh, yes, let's go ahead. Did they have a royal trip? I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. There's no way in the world Solomon could have kept all of that uh, and whatever he was wearing at the time. And he had so much in terms of money, he would have had just like he did wives, more than he knew what to do with. Uh, so, but to give you some ballpark idea, and this wasn't even scratching the surface of what Solomon had. This is what, just what the Queen of Sheba gave to him. Uh, like I said, we'll see a little bit further down that he had about five times that each year coming in in gold. And that didn't even count all the other stuff that he had. Yes. Actually, uh, and coming up, and I think we'll get to it, it I, I want to say that it had Solomon's worth in the trillions, saying that nobody in our world today has amassed the wealth uh, that he has. And it shows how God fulfilled uh, the promise that he made to Solomon, that he would not only give him wisdom unparalleled, but that he would give him uh, great riches. Yeah, yeah, they did, and they cost him a whole lot more than money, too. Yeah, they, they, they did. They, it's, it's kind of staggering. Uh, and if you think back uh, when Brother Holt was doing what uh, just the, 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 the meal provision was each day, uh, you know, to feed a, a court of that size and to feed all of those people, the, the, the amount is just staggering. It's, we look at that and just say, wow, that was uh, a great deal. That, that was a whole lot. All right, so that was the leftover. Uh, we'll move on. First uh, Kings chapter 10, if we could get a reader, verses 11 to 13. I guess I need to look up to see. Uh, Brother Holt, okay. All right. First uh, Kings 10, 11 through 13. Yes, sir. Uh, yep, okay. And the Navy also of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir brought in from Ophir great plenty of almug trees and precious stones. And the king made the almug trees pillars for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, harps also and psalteries for singers, for came no such almug trees nor were seen unto this day. And King Solomon gave unto her the queen of Sheba all her desire whatsoever she asked beside that which Solomon gave her of the royal bounty so she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. Yeah, now some people uh, have tried to create a romantic link between Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Uh, there's nothing in the text that would lead us to that 
uh, conclusion, and based on the writer's candor about Solomon's wives, I mean, if that had been the case, uh, it looked like he was trying to hide Solomon's business. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So that's more uh, the stuff of tradition than it is something that is expressed uh, outright uh, in scripture. Uh, now, the weight of the gold that came to Solomon in one year, 666 talents of gold. And remember, the Queen of Sheba gave him 120. Uh, but each year, he was raking in 666 talents uh, just from being the king. Uh, I, and actually have the link to the website that I got this off of. Uh, with an ever-expanding network of trading and commerce that raked in 25 tons of gold on an annual basis, King Solomon was stupendously wealthy. Calculating his gold earnings alone, in present day figures, it would amount to a ton of gold valued at $64.3 million using $2,000 an ounce. And Brother Pratt uh, gave us a figure right about that. Uh, therefore, means that the 40 years of his reign as king when converted will amount to 64,300,800,000. Knowing that this is just a part of what makes up King Solomon's net worth is breathtaking. Combining all of King Solomon's assets, these, when converted using present-day currency values, equals a whopping $2.1 trillion. This is a figure nobody else has attained. Religious sources attribute this great wealth to the fulfillment of, God, of God's fulfillment of his promise to King Solomon. So Solomon was a rich, rich man. Uh, and the thing was, he didn't ask for riches, he asked for wisdom to lead God's people properly, and God blessed him with riches uh, on top of that. Uh, what does it tell us? Don't go after riches, go after taking care of God's business, and God will give you uh, blessings uh, on top of that. So that $2.1 trillion, that, uh, you know, that just kind of, boggles the mind, you know, that, that's so much till, you know, it, it, it puts a quantity on it, but the quantity is so much that the quantity just kind of exceeds uh, our ability to, to relate to what, uh, what they're saying. So Solomon was a wealthy, wealthy, wealthy individual. All right, so if we could get a reader, uh, verses 14 through 18, uh, and again, the point of this is to show that God did, in fact, keep his promise to Solomon. You know, because Solomon hadn't asked for riches or the life of his enemies or any of that kind of thing, God blessed him uh, and blessed him, materially speaking, and, and certainly God blessed him in other ways. Brother Walt. Mm-hmm. You would think so. Yeah. When, when wealth is so much that silver is not counted as anything. Yeah, there, there's no reason to have homeless or hungry people. Yeah, absolutely.
Well, I'm see. And he's crying on TV. I am not happy. I have everything I want. Why am I not happy? She has everything she wants, but not everything she needs. And uh, this reminds me of uh, Ecclesiastes. Uh, when you read Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, look, I pursue everything this world has to offer. This is how he was able to do that. I mean, when you got 666 talents of gold coming in each year, there's nothing that the world offers that you can't afford to buy. Uh, and what does he say? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This man who was worth $2.1 trillion says, when you stop and think about it, wealth doesn't mean anything if you don't have God. Uh, Brother Pratt, I see you got the mic. Oh, you're just holding it, okay. Okay, all right. So, uh, Brother Aaron, uh, go ahead. The weight of the gold that, oh, thank you. I don't usually need the mic, I'm pretty loud. The weight of the gold that came to Solomon annually was 25 tons, besides what came from merchants, traders, merchandise, and all the Arabian kings and governors of the land. King Solomon made 200 large shells of hammered gold. 15 pounds of gold went into each shell. He made 300 small shells of hammered gold. Nearly four pounds of gold went into each shell. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The king also made a large ivory throne and overlaid it with fine gold. The throne had six steps. Okay. There was a let round. Me, let me hold you right there, oh. my brother. 18. 18. Oh. Uh, oh. Now, think about what this is saying. Anybody remember back in the day when gold chains were the thing? You know, you come up with your chain and you're showing people you got a chain. Yeah, and those things were probably a few ounces of gold, if, the, if it was real gold, because, you know, now sometimes we'd have that gold filled trying to pass it off but like it was a real one, but you couldn't get it wet because then it would turn green. But think about it. Those things were a couple of ounces, and here we are, you know, walking around showing it to the world. Solomon is making shields out of gold. 15 pounds of gold in each one. How rich do you have to be that you're making shields and using 15 pounds of gold? I would venture in my lifetime, I don't know if I've seen 15 pounds of gold. Uh, yeah, right, not, it's certainly not in my possession. Uh, but Solomon is doing this on each shield. This man is incredibly wealthy. But you think again about what he says in Ecclesiastes. All of that, was vanity if you didn't have God in the equation. Uh, I think that's probably why Kim Kardashian is saying, not probably, that's why Kim Kardashian is just saying what she's saying. Because uh, Solomon said, when you stop and look at it, I can't take all of this with me. And for all I know, it might be left to a fool. And here it is, you work to accumulate stuff and you die and whoever inherits it, inherits it. And you don't pick your relatives, uh, but they're yours. Solomon says, so, you know, what is it? Look, when I die, it's just like being just like the poor man. When you die, the only business you have left is to stand before God at the judgment. And your net worth is not going to be one of the issues that comes up. Brother Womble. <laughs> Since you brought that up, uh, <laughs> uh, I believe that 
I don't know Hollywood that well, but I think she's connected with somebody who has a, a regular following of folks who do a worship service, which they exclude God. Mm. So that might have some kind of reflection upon why she has not found happiness because they put a whole lot of concentration into, you know, they had these worship services and they have a rock band and all that kind of stuff. And they do that sort of thing. But like you said, they still exclude God. So then they're probably never gonna find happiness until they, you know, recognize who God is and include them in their life. You know, and when you say that, I just out of curiosity, is she the one that's hooked up with the fellow with the initials KW? But that's probably part of her problem, too. Okay, well, if she was hooked up with him at any point, I'm sure that's, that contributed uh, to, to the issues as well. And I didn't call any names. All I did was give initials. So there's no defamation suits uh, available there. Uh, oh, I pushed the wrong button. Now, I heard somebody say it, but that wasn't Ricky Cook. <laughs> Uh, well, that's a short one. Let me go ahead and take that one like I'm doing something. Uh, there were six steps to the throne, and that's just an artist's rendition. I don't know that it looked exactly like that or not. But how impressive is that? That's your throne. You got 12 gold lions leading up to where you sit, then a lion on each side of you, and then you overlay ivory with gold. Who does that? Who overlays ivory? I mean, ivory's you know, precious in and of itself. So why do you overlay ivory with gold unless you just got it like that? Uh, there were six steps to the throne and a round top to the throne at its back and armrest on each side of the seat and two lions standing beside the armrest. Now they're actually there, but I'm gonna take it because that's Solomon, he's standing there with his robes. Uh, his robe kind of blocks the one on his right. Uh, I don't know that the picture's clear enough that you can see the one uh, on his left, but they did pick that detail up. So 12 lions were standing there on the six steps on the one side and on the other. Nothing like it was made for any other kingdom. So if you wanted to see wealth, you went to see Solomon. And what did the Queen of Sheba say? Man, they've been talking about you, but seeing it is, is, is a whole different ball game. I mean, they, they've been trying to tell she said, but the half of the story hadn't been told. Solomon was a wealthy, wealthy man. But go back and read Ecclesiastes, understanding his wealth, and see how much bigger, it, I mean, because we, you know, if you asked us, we'd say God is everything in the first place. Uh, but Solomon had the perspective, look, I have anything the world at his day had to offer. I got a thousand wives, I got money by the ton, and he wasn't exaggerating when he said that. Uh, I mean, he had it. You name it, he had it. Brother Womble? But then the King of Kings and Lord of Lords had not a place to, you know, lay his head. Lay his I mean, head. it yeah. was a, the exact opposite of what this guy is displaying as what really matters in life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to talk about uh, irony. You know, the creator of the universe, the one who owns all that Solomon had, plus everything else, uh, like you said, takes on flesh and they can't even find room for him in the end. Yeah, absolutely. So Solomon was uh, very wealthy. 
And let me just put this spoiler out there for you. Appreciate Solomon was wealthy because God is God. And God told Solomon, if you want to keep what you got, you got to be faithful to me. And we're going to see as we read, Solomon wasn't faithful to God. And all that he had, uh, God took it and gave it to someone else. Uh, so Paul tells us the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. Be faithful to God and let God take care of everything else. Uh, verses 21 through 25. And again, I know everybody here, if not first and last name, I definitely know one of your names. Uh, Brother Ford, okay. Now all King Solomon's drinking utensils were of gold, and all the utensils of the house of the timber of Lebanon were of pure gold. None was of silver. It was not considered as amounting to anything in the days of Solomon. For the king had the ships of Tarshish at sea with Haram's ships once every three years. The ships of Tarshish would come carrying gold and silver, ivory, monkeys, and peacocks. So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in wealth and wisdom. And all the earth was seeking the attention of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And they were bringing everyone a gift, articles of silver and gold, garments, weapons, balsam oil, horses, and mules, so much year by year. So this dude who is richer than rich, get everybody bringing him gifts all the time they want to hear uh, his wisdom. Now, how rich do you have to be? First of all, his drinking utensils were of gold. Imagine having a gold cup. Uh, yes, if I had a gold cup, I probably wouldn't fool around drinking out of it. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. I can understand showing that, hey, you know, I'm successful, but that's just untasteful. Like, that's just like to the point where it's kind of tacky. Yes, I am. I, look, Paul, even Paul said God gives us all things richly to enjoy. Solomon was just enjoying what God gave him. His problem was he didn't stay faithful to God. We're going to see his problem in chapter 11. Chapter 11 is where we really see his, his big problem. Brother Wong. I agree with my sister here, but I think that even today, people automatically think that somebody who's wealthy, they got it going on. They somehow think, okay, if you're wealthy, then you can be a good leader, or you can be a good this, or you can be a good that, and that you can make it all happen because obviously you did something right to get that wealth. So, I mean, we put a lot of faith and trust and, and you know, confidence in somebody that has wealth like that, thinking that, you know, that's the person to follow because they, you know, must have done something right. Yeah. Because we think that, you know, having physical wealth Mm -hmm. is uh, the pinnacle of success in society. Yeah, and again, we need to listen to the man who had it tell us that wealth is vanity if you don't have God. Yeah, so his utensils are of gold. All the uh, things in his palace were of pure gold. None was silver. In fact, silver wasn't even counted as being worth anything. Yeah, 
Yeah, silver was accounted. Silver must have been to Solomon about like a penny would be to us. You know, if I see a penny, especially in these days, but, but even before COVID, if I'm walking and see a penny on the ground, that ain't worth picking up because uh, I'm not superstitious. You know, that old saw, see a penny, pick it up, and all the day you'll have good luck. Yeah, and God's name was put on there by folk that won't even listen to him. <laughs> yeah. yeah talking about, and God, we trust. No, we don't. Because uh, if we did, this country would be a whole lot different uh, uh, than it is. Yes. I have one comment on that. Money is money. And when I'm going to point out Mr. Allen, um, I was at work and he uh, gave me his pocket change and it helped pay for my dinner. So, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. There's stuff I would pick up. If I was walking and saw a 20, I would stop and pick that up. It is. But that 20 is worth a lot more than that little piece of it. Well, it's not even copper. Uh, and in fact, what's interesting is it cost the U.S. Mint more money to make a penny than the penny is worth. So I don't know when they're going to stop making it because they lose money every time they make one. Well, money itself is probably on the way out with the way technology is going. Everything will probably just be on your phone after a while. Uh, yeah, because you know now, I, look, you, you can go to the barbershop, and I haven't been since COVID, but you go to the barbershop and pay for a haircut over the phone. So, you know, that's where we had it. But again, just to give you an idea of how wealthy uh, Solomon was, and so you can see uh, he has a great Navy going. Uh, they just bringing him things from all over the world. Brother Pratt. Seeing all that uh, makes me think about what it says in uh, 1 Corinthians. However, it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So just imagine what we have in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing compares to what God has for us. What God has, yeah. Oh, and in fact, you know, in keeping with what you said, it was Jesus who said that Solomon in all, all his glory uh, wasn't arrayed like one that God takes care of. So again, you're thinking about this man who makes silver like pennies. You know, it just wasn't accounted as anything. And all, I mean, you sit down to dinner and everything is gold. Not gold colored, gold. I would imagine Solomon, you know, if he had invited any of us, so probably would have had to pat us all down before he let us leave. <laughs> you ever see when those shows person get up and all the, the, everything they done picked up falls out and they just make this loud clatter? I think because you look, here come a fork, but I'd have paid the car off. Here come a knife and spoon. Look, the knife, the spoon, and the plate to pay the house. Brother, he had so much wealth, he probably would have just given it to you. I, he wouldn't have missed it. Yes. I mean, when you, you got wouldn't have to steal of, it. You can just ask. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, this real uh, true story. And I forget where we were. Uh, we were somewhere. I think it was, God was trying to get us to buy a timeshare. Notice I say trying. Uh, but he was talking about how he had went to Las Vegas 
and he sat down at one of the card game tables and you had to bet $10,000. Now, don't start gambling. I'm not advocating gambling in any kind of way. I'm telling you this story to try to help you appreciate what Solomon was saying here. So he sat down at the table where you had to ante up $10,000. That was the minimum bid. And as it would happen with gambling, uh, he lost everything he had. I mean, he went and maxed out his credit card and, and I'm just thinking, that's a foolish thing to do. You know, you shouldn't even sat down at the table, number one. But sitting at the table was a fellow by the name of Michael Jordan, the basketball player. And he said Michael Jordan, based on his demeanor, asked him what was wrong. And so he told him what happened. Look, I done maxed out my card. I done spent everything I had trying to play this game. And he said, Michael Jordan flipped him a chip and told him, go home. Now, Michael Jordan has the kind of money to be sitting down at a game where you got to ante up $10,000. Now, again, don't start gambling. Uh, but this other fella didn't. But in flipping him that chip, Michael Jordan probably never missed that chip. Yeah. See, because if that had been me, I like, see, you knew you couldn't afford to gamble before you sat down. You're going to learn the hard way. Uh, but he has money in abundance. Well, Solomon even surpasses him. So, yeah, I would think, you know, you take something from Solomon. Look, whatever you take, they're going to bring me, you know, three, four more tons of it. So, you know, ain't no, ain't no biggie. All right. So Solomon, again, very wealthy because God is blessing him because of how pleased God was with what Solomon asked for. Give me wisdom so that I can rule your people. Uh, so in taking care of God's people, God took care of him. All right, if we could get a reader, 26 to 29. Uh, Brother Michael. Verse 26. Yes. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen uh, he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone, and he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of Shephelah. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Kuh, and the king's traders received them from Ku at a price. A chariot could be imported, imported from Egypt for 600 shekels, shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so through the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. Now again, and here we're starting to see part of the problem. And if you think I'm wrong, just stay on the line. Here Solomon's starting to mess up. But if he has 12,000 horsemen, how many horses does he have? Probably at least 12,000. Yeah, does each man need a horse and probably need more than one? I'm not much of, on, on, uh, of an equestrian. 
But I would figure, you know, you can only ride a horse so much and so long uh, before he has to be replaced. Solomon is replacing these things like there's nothing to it. Silver as common as stones. You go outside and pick up a stone. You know, ain't nobody fighting you for it. You know, that's my rock. Look, take it. What you gonna do with a rock? Well, silver is like that. I mean, Solomon has so much that silver really doesn't mean anything. So he's paying for these horses and uh, he's got the 1,400 chariots and the 12,000 horsemen. Where did he get them from? Egypt, that's the problem. Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 17. Now this was God telling Israel before they got over to the promised land. And again, let me say, and I, I, I know I said it here recently in a sermon, God's foreknowledge does not make us do things. They're, they're just things that God can just look in the future and say, this is what's gonna happen just cause he knows everything. Now that doesn't make us choose it. No more than, how many parents in here? You ever told your kid, I know what you're gonna do and then they do it? Cause you know your children. Yeah. Sometimes your kids wonder, how did they know? Cause I know you. Nobody tell on you, I just know you. That's, that's the kind of thing you would do. Yeah, like if somebody came to me and said, one of your kids said ABC. Okay, well it sound like, cause they're different people. Yeah, so God knew what they were gonna do. This is God talking about what was gonna happen hundreds of years later, like it had happened yesterday. So God tells them, when you enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, so they don't have it yet, and you take possession of it and live in it, and you say, I will appoint a king over me like all the nations who are around me. Saul, yep. See, God told them, y'all gonna get over there, and you're gonna be ungrateful, and you're gonna ask for a king, but when you do, I'm not gonna be pleased, but here's the rules. You shall in fact appoint a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your own countrymen, you shall appoint as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves. Anyone who is not your countryman. I think that same principle ought to be observed in the church. You ever wonder why we don't use non-members? Why we don't let a non-Christian get up and speak? I think that same principle is at work there. You don't put a foreigner over God's people. Yeah. So that he didn't want, remember what he told uh, Samuel, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. I said, but in rejecting me, I'm gonna choose the king. And don't you ever let a foreigner get up there on the throne. Now you wanna see how far off Israel got. When Jesus came around, who were the priests? Many cases, it wasn't a Levite, which was where they were supposed to come from. Uh, in some cases, it was whoever could pony up the most money or be in the best standing with the king or whoever happened to be in charge. Yeah. In any case, verse 16, he is not to acquire many horses for himself. Did Solomon do that? He sure did. Nor shall he make the people return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Where does Solomon get the horses from? He's messing up every, every step of the way. 
since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. Now, the fact that this was hundreds of years later did not change what God said. What God said stood unless God changed it. That's a lot of people's problem with the Bible now. Well, that was back in, you know, almost 2,000 years ago. Well, guess what? If God hadn't changed it, that's still the rule. Yeah, until God comes back and changes it, yeah, that's still the rule. No matter how old the rule is, unless God changed it, that's the rule. What did Jesus say about baptism? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He said that 2,000 years ago. God hadn't changed the rule. And God has rules about morality. He has rules about marriage. He has rules about the church. If God don't change the rules, the rule is still the rule. It's hundreds of years later, and Solomon goes back to the very place God told him, don't you go back to, and does the very thing God tells him not to do. Uh, Sister LaDonna. So we were talking downstairs before we came up here for class. Mm -hmm. We were talking about how something as simple as a translation of a Bible, mm -hmm. like for instance, we were specifically speaking of the NIV, the 1984 version versus the 2012 and how and that's just an example how mm -hmm. certain translations can be i'm trying not to sound judgmental brother ricky i really mm -hmm. am you're better at that than me um <laughs> I don't know about that. how they twist rearrange reword to appeal mm -hmm. to today's mm -hmm. xyz so mm -hmm. I guess we just also need to be diligent. Yes. Do you have any words of wisdom there, sir? Uh, well, actually, I think what you said is right. We need to be diligent and we need to thank God for the promise of Hebrews eleven six. God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Our ability to know what God said is not based on our ability to speak Greek or Hebrew or Chaldee or, or any of that. It's based on our willingness to be faithful to God. See, when we want to serve God, guess what God does? He helps us know what his will is. Yeah, so NIV, yeah, in my opinion, has always been a little heavy on dynamic equivalence. Um, I, I would say it's a, yeah, no, I would, I would say it's a credible translation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. Uh, Reader's Digest many years ago got the bright idea uh, that they would take all references to gender out of scripture. So Jesus was not called the son of man. He was called the child of humanity. That's the difference between translating something and our term for it is paraphrasing. That wasn't even paraphrasing. That was just straight corrupting what, 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 what the book said. Uh, so, you know, and that's another whole subject altogether. But do we have credible translations in English? We do. And thank God again for the promise of Hebrews eleven six. When it is our desire to serve God, God makes his will known to us. Which is why we ought not fall out when people talk about, that's what they used to do years ago. Well, why were they doing it? Because God said so. 
So if they were doing it then because God said so, guess what? We should keep doing it now because God said so. One of the things I don't ever want to be is a trendsetter. I don't want to start doing stuff that the church hadn't been doing all along in the first place. What the church had been doing in the first century, we need to keep doing now. Because unless God changes the rules, the rules haven't changed. Now, society may be talking about uh, equality and, and all of that kind of thing. Uh, before you can talk about something, you need to understand what it is. Uh, there are just certain things that God has set in place, and what God has set in place, we ought not tinker with. Because nobody knows better than God. Because that, that's really the argument. At the end of the day, when somebody puts a new way as opposed to God's way, what they're really saying is, I know better than God. Well, I'm going to cast my lot with God because he was here before all of us. He'll be here after all of us. Now, whoever this is coming in with this new way of thinking, they may not outlast you. Yeah, so let's stick with, uh, let's stick with the Bible. Uh, there are a lot of people that make those claims. Uh, the translations are not credible. If you really study that, and I'll just say that and then we'll move on, there is more evidence for scripture than there is for any other book in our world today. You ever see somebody read Shakespeare and say, how do we know that's what Shakespeare really wrote? You don't hear that. Why do people say that about the Bible? Because we don't want to do what the Bible says in the first place. And the thing that will free us from being accountable to the word of God is if we can nullify it. That's why people do that. But when you look at the, the uh, go back and the manuscript evidence and all of that that they have, there is more evidence for the Bible than there is for any other book uh, in the world today. Yeah, so it's not, you know, you hear people sometimes talk about lost books of the Bible. You know, which ones are lost? You, know, you have to know something is lost for it to be lost. You ever lose your keys? You don't start walking and talk about keys you've never seen before. You're talking about keys you've used. Yeah, so books of the Bible are lost, which ones? Because until you can tell me which ones, ain't no need us talking about, you know, trying to go look for them. But when you can tell me which ones are lost, okay. And there's a difference between lost and don't have. There's some things we don't have, but they're not lost. In fact, we'll see here in uh, 1 Kings when we read a little further. When Solomon dies, it's going to talk about uh, his deeds being written in the book uh, uh, of the Acts of Solomon. We don't have that book. It's not lost. And if you want to stop and think about it, look, we have enough trouble with what God did give us. If he gave us more, that'd just be more for us to, to deal with trying to do. Yeah, the 66 we have is enough. Yeah, anybody keeping, you know, uh, and it, it, well, the, the 27 from start to finish, I find those a struggle every day. Thank God we don't have 35 or 36. Look, I don't, I, it, 27 is enough of a challenge. All right, uh, I think I was reading verse 16. In any case, he is not to acquire many horses for himself, which Solomon did, 
nor shall he make the people return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, which Solomon did, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. They just disregarded that altogether. But now look at verse 17. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself. How many does Solomon have? He only had too many. <laughs> God said you can have one. And until God changes the rule, that's the rule. You get one. For your whole life. That's incredible that people stand up and take that vow and then act like they never heard that before. When you take the vow, and I know it because I've heard people repeat it enough. That's the vow. And then what happened? Three months later, three years later, 15 years later, he changed. Maybe he has. Maybe it was just some things about him that you weren't open to in the first place. Uh, you know, they say when you're in love, you look through rose-colored glasses. And then when you got to live with reality, the glasses come off. Uh, Brother Faust used to say, love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. Not so much that they change, you start really looking at what it is you latched on to. Yeah, you better have the grace of God, a heart to be committed to the relationship and the regard for the will of God to stay together and start with the grace of God. But that's, if you get married, that's what we do. We, until death, do us part. Now, what if they change? Hey, well, you got to learn to adapt. You don't get to throw them back and choose another one just because they changed. Sometimes people do. He shall not acquire many wives for himself. And then God even gives us the rationale so that his heart does not turn away. Isn't it amazing how people argue with God? We'll marry outside the body and declare they're not going to cause me to be unfaithful to God. So you telling God he's wrong? Well, I know so-and-so married outside the body and they didn't leave the church. You don't have to leave the church to be gone. Just because I show up at this building every Sunday and every Wednesday night does not mean that I'm here. I'm here, but it don't mean I'm here. Uh, just like you're gonna read the article Sunday for, in the bulletin we died, but we're not dead. That's not a contradiction. No, it's not. It's not. We died, but we're not dead. Yeah. We need to learn to listen to God. You know, out of all the Christians all around the world, you know, because people read that ain't nobody here. Well, he didn't say the person had to be from here. They just need to be a member of the body. Look, until you travel to every congregation of the church, all over the world, you can't say that. Don't make God wrong. Don't infer that God is wrong. What did Paul say? Yea, let God be true and every man a liar. So all the things God said don't do. Look, in fact, no, let me read that last one. Give me just a minute. I'm going to run over just a little bit. 
nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. But didn't God tell Solomon he was going to give him wealth? So on the one hand, you say he shall not greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Then you turn around and say you're going to give him great riches. How is that fair? For himself. I, I would argue the operative word would be for himself. Yes. God gave Solomon great wealth so that he could use it for the nation of Israel, not to build fancy seats and fancy shelves to go on a wall. Brother Aaron, you're right on the money. There's a difference between what God gives me and what I acquire for myself. God gives me something, I ought to use it for his glory. And that's not to say that Solomon was wrong for building the palace or having all those other things. Uh, not to say that he was wrong for that. But what Solomon was not to do, don't use your position as king to increase what I've already given you. See, because you're going to start making them compromises. You're going to start marrying foreign wives. And let's say her daddy's the king of Egypt. He's going to give her a city as a marriage present. But see, you violate what I told you. Number one, you ain't supposed to be marrying nobody from Egypt. And if you hadn't been fooling around over in Egypt where you had no business being, you wouldn't have married nobody from there in the first place. Don't go looking where God has told you to stay away from. The last thing we ought to do is go looking in the world for a spouse. All right, I'm over. We're going to finish with that. Uh, let me write myself a little note. Was that uh, Deuteronomy 17, 17? All right, let's say a word of prayer. Uh, we have to stop, but we ain't finished. Uh, then the brethren can come for the devotional. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, for the blessings in life that we have. We thank you, Father, for your word. And we pray uh, not only for understanding, but also for a heart of submission uh, that would move us, Father, to be obedient to the things uh, that you have commanded, knowing that uh, your will and your way is best. Father, we pray that you would bless us to be blessings to those that we come in contact with. Grant, Father, that in all things we would live lives that bring glory to you. Again, we thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we do pray. Amen.
Hello. Good evening. We're going to get started. Um, I like the song. Not a lot of people know this song. It's kind of an old song. So we're going to give this a try. One final request. Can we scoot down a little bit? I need to use a microphone for the Zoom session. And uh, that's, that's quite a gap. We got a we got a few coming, amen. I won't bite. I promise. Brush my teeth. Okay. Oh, thou blessed rock of ages, trusting now to Lord and Thee. Keep me till my journey's ended, till thy blessed face I see. Hide me, O blessed rock of ages, till thy blessed face I see. When the storm around me rages, Rock of ages, hide thou me. Keep me when the storm clouds gather. Till the sun comes shining through. Keep me till my work is over. Till I bid this world adieu. Hide me, O blessed rock of ages, till thy blessed face I see. When the storm around me rages, rock of ages, hide thou me. When my journey is completed and there's no more work to do, Savior, guide my weary spirit. Happy land beyond the blue. Hide me, O blessed rock of ages, till thy blessed face I see. Where the storm around me rages, rock of ages, hide thou me. Good evening. Good to have everyone here tonight. Um, I'm going to turn this light on. I can't see over here. I tried to put all my notes on my phone, and then I couldn't find them, so it made me a little cheat sheet. So anyway, uh, this came to my mind the other day. Um, my wife loves to watch the Hallmark Channel. Hallmark Channel has some pretty wholesome shows on it. But there's some commercials that come on that just make me want to just throw the TV out in the street. 
I won't go into what the TV commercials are, but they have stuff to do with what happens in Romans one. If you've seen those commercials and they're being, they're more and more and abundant every day. And it just makes me so sick. So I started thinking, you know, why is things like that now? So I think about what it says in Proverbs about train up a child in the way she goes. When he's old, he won't depart. And also what Jesus said, unless you become like little children, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So I don't know how your mind works, but when I see different things in my life, I have little pop-up scriptures or a song that pops in my mind. So I thought about this kid song that we've sang for years. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful little eyes what you see. You know, we see so many things uh, every day. And as, I won't go through all the different things because I've seen some horrible things in my lifetime. You know, and it, I just, it, it bothers me that some of the stuff I've seen, I try to erase from my memory. I wish I had the memory when I'm studying for something I want to memorize. That I, I don't have to pull up my notes and my cheat sheet. But there's things I've seen in the past, some horrible things from people in car accidents. You just start talking about it, I can remember every detail. So be careful little ears what you hear. It's another item that we can have a long list of things on. You know, uh, I was at a gas station not long ago getting gas and there was a guy in another car filling up and he wasn't embarrassed at all what he was listening to and the lyrics of the songs that were blaring out of his radio. And I'm like, does your mother know you listen to that garbage? You know, and I, I don't want, I don't want to hear that stuff, but the vulgar lyrics made me think of Romans. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. If someone would have pointed that person in the right direction, had them listening to the more important things, they wouldn't be listening to the lyrics of what is out there. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little tongue, what you say. You know, and we can think about so many things we have said. We've heard other people say. But Jesus says, it's not what enters the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. It goes on down at the bottom. It's, uh, a couple of verses down, he says, uh, do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and is eliminated, but the things that come out of the mouth are from the heart. Those things that defile the person. From out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, acts of adultery, other immoral acts, thefts, false testimonies, and slanderous statements. These are the things that defile a person, not what you eat. So I started thinking about, oh, be careful little feet where you go that lyric part of the song. You know, Proverbs 6 uh, talks about there's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, hearts that devise wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, false witnesses who pour out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. 
So we think about those things right there, you know, oh, be careful little feet where you go. Why do you rush into doing something that's gonna cause evil? Why is your heart devising wicked schemes? It's not just something that happened that was wicked. When you devise a wicked scheme, you have to sit there and contemplate and decide how you're gonna go about doing that. And, you know, Proverbs talks about other things in there as well, uh, about waiting for men uh, to rob, whatever. The praise be to God that he is patient and loving, full of grace and mercy. You know, because I am so thankful that we have the Bible and we have Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So all of us have sinned, no matter what sin it was or how many sins we committed, we've had sinned and we've sinned against God. The good news is that God can take care of our sin problem. You know, I mentioned earlier about uh, different things. You know, I love what it says. I've studied with people in the past, what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. So for those that might be listening that never have given their life to Christ, uh, if you would like further study, we've been more than happy to talk to you about your walk with the Lord. Uh, you can reach out to us at elders at laurelchurch.net. You can come forward tonight. Anything we can do to make your life right with God. But like the song we sing, oh, why not tonight? So if there's anything we can do for you, let us know as we stand and sing our song. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords, who is the great I Am. Lord Jehovah reigns in majesty. We will bow before His throne. We will worship Him in righteousness. We will worship Him alone. He is Lord of heaven, Lord of earth. He is Lord of all who live. He is Lord of all the universe. All praise to Him we Hallelujah to the King of Kings. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lord of Lords, who is the great I Am. Amen. Most gracious and wonderful Father, we come to you thanking you for all things, especially your son, Jesus Christ, who gave all for us on the cross of Calvary. We thank you so much for your love, for all that you do for us. 
We know that there are those who are sick, hurting. We are asking that you will look down upon them and bless them, help them. Help us to be able to live a life of freedom in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Help us to be able to take the things that we learn tonight and use it to be able to live a way that people will say there's something about them and us that is different. Help us to show people the love that we have for each other so that others will know that we are your disciples. We thank you, Father, for all you do for us, for blessing us with the health and strength that we have. And so as we leave, we ask that you will continue to watch over us in a way that we can live for you in this life, bringing souls to you and loving you. Please help us to live that wonderful life to who you say, well done. These blessings we ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen.